Here we are now with another episode of the Andrew Lake Podcast. If you are a regular listener of the Andrew Lake Podcast, please share your favourite episode as this will help me find my audience. This will help to find the people who are ready to hear what we are talking about here. And today, I'd like to offer a discussion of commentaries. What is a commentary? What does it mean to commentate on something? What does it mean, broadly speaking, to talk about something? And this is important to understand because today we have so many people saying things. There are all sorts of discussions in all sorts of ways. It's an informational, saturation kind of culture that we live in. And it might be that you hear one person saying something, and then along comes someone else and seemingly manages to contradict all that they are saying. And then someone else comes along again, and then you find yourself with all these different things which are conflicting, which you don't really know how to make sense of. And this can lead to a bind which, in some senses, is a kind of postmodern bind, which is, well, it's true if it's true for you. It's true if you like it. It's true if you just enjoy listening along. And there is some value in this postmodern bind. There is some strength to it. But we still need to make sense of the things that are being said. And we still need to understand that there is an objective, ultimate truth out there. This is also important because of what we're doing here. This is important because of many of the conversations you and I have. Now, I've done a number of commentaries thus far, and I'm going to be doing more. So by listening to this conversation here, you'll understand more about my approach and about my attitude towards commentating. Now, back in the day, in those yesteryears, before the internet and before mass media, before quick communications, we had orators. Now, the orators would stand up in town square and they'd have a big, loud, clear voice and they would use simple words and they would say what is happening so that everyone would know. And this person was, well, in many ways, connected to the politic, the politics and the politicians of the times. The politicians would control this kind of person in a certain way. Now, of course, there is also free information in certain cultures, in certain societies, even in the old times, and there would be a kind of traditional or pre, pre-journalism journalism, and people would be having their say. So the history is complex, the history is vast, 
and it goes right back to many a time, many a thousands of years ago. Now, the orator was only one kind of speaker. The other kind we had was the preacher. Now, the preacher would go to church with his congregation and he would stand up on the pulpit and he would have the Bible in one hand and his personal notes in the other and he would preach. And this kind of preaching was a commentary. It would be a look into what does the Bible mean. And we still have this today, of course. (laughs) There are many people commentating on the Bible today. This tradition still continues. (laughs) And the nature of preaching in the biblical sense was that, well, there were people who didn't necessarily have an understanding of the Bible like the preacher did. Because the preacher, well, he's done his studies. And even further, long time ago, there was a time when it was considered that this preacher man would have a kind of connection with God. In some Christian denominations, in some religions, we appoint the preacher as someone who actually is connected to God personally, experientially. And it's not just the text that he is speaking from. It's not just the words, it's not just the book, but it's actually his own experience. It's actually his own relationship, real-life relationship with God. And there were many reasons why we have this culturally. There's many reasons for this phenomenon. One such example is that, well, in many a time, the common folk couldn't afford Bibles. They didn't even have the books. And it wouldn't be enough for the preacher just to read the Bible. It would be required of them to explain. Now, I don't really understand what you're saying because they're not literate. They're not educated. They don't have that kind of high-level thinking as it would have appeared at that time. So that's a kind of commentary. And that's very important to understand. Now, the word preaching also has with it this flavor of, oh, I'm preaching at you. And you see this by the the priest and the religious figures, which is that they are expressing something which you need to understand. There's an actual attempt for you to be converted. This is evangelism. This is preaching as an evangelist. You need to come to God. You need to wake up to God. You need to very much understand this very important text And that's a component of preaching. Now, it's gone in and out of fashion. There's all sorts of styles into which preaching in that manner occurs across cultures, across time. But that's another component of preaching. Now, as for journalism, we have a sphere of information which is partly what happened, and then there's also an inflection of, well, what does it mean that it happened? 
And this is the spin of the media. This is the spin of how the media portrays certain political figures or events or cultural events as well. And this is a blurred line. This is the tricky thing to understand. This is the hard thing to see through because the facts and the opinions, if we can put it so simply, are coming at you from all angles in the same way. And they all appear to be the same. The inflections of significance, the inflections of emotion, the inflections of meaning, they're all mixed in with the facts. And even when you have someone who's saying, I'm just giving the facts, I'm just saying things as the truth. Have you heard this kind of speaker before? They say, I'm only interested in science. I'm only interested in what really happened. I'm only interested in proof. These sorts of things. Well, even that has a kind of inflection to it. It has a paradigm limit to it. And it's nested in the personal. It's nested in the person that is saying those words. A good speaker is someone who is clear about giving information and then also when they're discussing the information. They further also go on to explain themselves. So you can explain information as well as explaining what the implications are. The thing that I really want you to be aware of, the thing that I really want to instill in whoever's listening to this, or the skill that I really want people to have, and I wish I could see more of, is the skill of identifying outrage. The skill of identifying the so-called debunking the so-called skeptic, the so-called telling someone that they're wrong. Now, in the social sphere, in the commentary sphere, there is a place for someone standing up and saying, hey, you're wrong. Now, back in the day, the preacher would be up on his pulpit and the listeners, the congregation, would basically have to swallow it hook, line, and sinker because they wouldn't know any better. How could they? They were illiterate. They didn't have a higher authority. And as time has gone on, as, as our cultures have complexified, well, now we have the discussion where everyone can stand up and say what they think. Everyone can really get into each other and here's the thing about popularity and rising to the top of the conversation. It is that drama sells. Everyone loves a scandal. Everyone loves attention. Everyone loves a hard hitter. Everyone loves to see, wow, that person really, really got told wrong. And you were so sure they were right. You were so sure. 
And that really is something to watch out for. It's something to actually stop for a moment and reassess why is it that you're involved in this? Why is it that you're listening along? What are you really getting out of this? Turn inwards. Self-reflect. Really take a look at what's important for the thing that you're hearing. Now, many of these big dramas, many of these conversations, these debunkings, really come down to, no, you're wrong and I'm right. That's what it boils down to. Is it so important to be right? Is it so important for the information to be correct, to make you look good, for you to be upheld in the eyes of public opinion? I'm right and you're wrong. That's really all it comes down to. Now, of course, this kind of drama also has its advantages. It does give cognitive stimulation. And there is something to a good drama. There is something to a good story. There is something to really heavy hitters. Now, when we go and see the boxing, we want to see the two best fighters, right? When we go to see the football, which I haven't more than once in my entire life, (laughs) but when on that one occasion I did go, I wanted to see the two best teams, right? It's the grand final that you want to see. These two teams have played all the others and beaten them, and whoever is the best is going to win this game. That's the confrontation. That's the thrill of the drama. Now, in social and political commentaries, there is something to that, of course. So long as it is identified as entertainment. So long as it is identified as cognitive stimulation which means you're thinking about things. You're thinking it over. They're using long words. They're really using twists and turns of phrases. Their speech is really clear. Each sentence is really carefully thought out. And sometimes they have very long stretches of cognitive ideas and you get to the end of it and you think, whoa, that is blowing my mind. But the problem is when this isn't understood for what it is, there's no larger step back to say, hey, this is just cognitive gymnastics. This is just political sphere drama. And as a speaker myself, I can see actually why there is a draw to it. And the draw is that if you can really engage with someone who's more popular than you, then you can actually become popular. And I've seen this firsthand. One of my most popular episodes was actually a talk about someone else. Now, I don't want to mention what that episode is, 
because I want to be known for my own ideas. <laughs> I want to be known for my own thoughts. And I do have some original thoughts. Believe it or not, as rare as that is. But I was... Well, I had mixed feelings to realize that, well, by talking about someone who was already popular, already famous, then I could sort of piggyback on their fame, on their commentary. And I see that in, well, a lot of people. A lot of people who really spend all their time just doing that. And it's much easier to come along and say that someone is wrong and to make them look like they're wrong after the fact. This is called having the last say. You know this phrase? You know what this means? Who gets the last who gets the last laugh, right? Well, I got the last laugh, so I won the conversation. I won the argument. This is where the husband and wife is fighting. And the husband says, this conversation is over. And he slams the door shut or he slams the phone down. He won in that situation because he had the last word. He was the last thing to have his voice ring out in. And of course, it's not quite like that in internet discussions. But the principle is there, which is that someone has said something and you've come along and added your voice to it. And that's the last thing that, per- that a person has heard. It's impossible for someone to respond. The way that responses happen is not that they respond to responding. And some people, <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's insane but some people actually do try to respond to the responding. And you can see how, how this is just a spiral. Someone's responded to what you're saying, and now you're responding to what their response is. And very quickly, I can just see, I can just see waves petering out in all directions of reaction, of reaction, reaction, reaction. And this is the cacophony of the echo chamber. And some people actually really feel this is a kind of nightmare that is going on. This is a kind of nightmare of the informational sphere. And it's not a nightmare. It is not. It is simply something that happens for certain kinds of minds. And it is perfectly possible to step outside of that. It's perfectly possible to hold that entire echo chamber in the palm of your hands and to see, ah, I see what's going on here and I'm not going to fall for it. Now, if you see someone doing a commentary on someone else, beware. Because many commentaries take words out of context. They take phrases out of context, particularly in long-form speaking, which you're most likely interested in if you're listening to me. 
Now, what I'm doing here is long-form speaking. Yeah, there's episodes that are three hours long. Now, in that case, it's not fair to commentate on it by taking little snippets out, right? You've seen these videos, you've seen these talks where they insert little snippets and then they say something to it and it appears like you're having a conversation with them, right? Whoever it is that's making that content, it appears like the person has said something and then they're responding and then back and forth. Well, this is not a genuine commentary. This is not a helpful commentary. Because the words are out of context. And when we're talking about long form, you need to take on the whole thing. And we're talking about a genuine commentary. You need to take on the whole thing. You need to comment on the whole thing. Now think of the preacher. Think of of what the preacher does when he preaches to his congregation. Now, what he's doing is he's actually taking the Bible and he's talking it on different parts, but he's making his way through it and he's contending with all of it. And if you tend that church, the preacher will go through one book and then move to another book. Now, granted, it's only a small small part of it that they're commentating on each week but over time you will build up this picture you will have this large commentary of how all the things are connected together and that's an important element in a commentary it's to take on the whole thing to distill the core ideas not to respond to little snippets not to respond to the little things that are just passing, because it's so easy for those to be construed badly. It's so easy for those to be construed as not true. And the reason it's so easy is because, well, of the nature of words. And if you understand words and you understand how information works together, you know that it works in networks. The context defines the meaning. And context and content has ever-expanding ranges of its complexity. So you can have the meaning of a word as unto itself because of the context of it being within the sentence. That word means that thing because of the sentence that it is in. Further, the sentence can have its meaning because of the paragraph that it is in. Need I go on? The paragraph has its meaning because of the page, the chapter. The chapter has its meaning because of the book. The book has its meaning because of the volumes. I hope that makes the picture clear. I hope that makes it understandable. Now, when I did 
my Harry Potter con- commentary. It was a commentary on the whole thing. We did all seven Harry Potter books. Now, granted, we didn't go through every single plot twist. We didn't have the entire plot down to the microscopic detail. There were things that we missed out. There were many details that we didn't go into. But still, the commentary was complete. The commentary contended with all of the big ideas. It contended with the fundamental principles, the fundamental message that was coming across. And that's what you want to look for. And that's what's missing in mainstream information. That's what's missing in social and political commentaries, in an information-saturated world. Now we just have reactions to little things that are out of context, that don't make sense, that prey on outrage and anger and making that person who we all thought was so smart look so wrong. There are many people who can make a career out of making smart people look wrong. There's a lot of money in that. There's a lot of... Well, I don't want to say that it's a good thing. There's nothing really good that I can say about that. And really, to sort of hit this point home one last time, I'd like to offer up an analogy. And the analogy is that of someone weaving a tapestry. Now, when you weave a tapestry, there are, well, certain mechanics to it. It's a certain trade. And just think of a tapestry machine, a big wooden one. And there are certain threads that get put on. Now the person that's making that tapestry has to understand the trade. They have to be practiced in the craft. And they have to take their time. They have to plan out their patterns. They have to have learnt from their teacher. They have to have organized their materials. And just think of that big wooden tapestry weaving machine. And they're lining up the threads, putting the threads together, up and down. And then they're going across. And as each one goes across and it's threaded through, the tapestry starts to be seen for what it is. As it goes along and along and along and you see each new thread going through, the pattern becomes clear. And to weave a beautiful tapestry takes great skill. It takes time. It really takes a real knack for beauty. It really takes, a, takes a real eye for beautiful things. And that's exactly what some people do with words. 
It's exactly what some people do when they speak. They weave these great, large tapestries. These grand things that have all, that have all sorts of details and patterns. And have all been thought out and carefully, methodically laboured over. And to really see the whole thing, well, you need to go through each thread, right? Because words are linear. Speech is linear. It's always one, one dimensional. How many times have I, how many times have I expressed my frustration at that? <laughs> Why are words so hollow? <laughs> Why are they so one dimensional? But that's not to say that the tapestry isn't there. It's not to say that you can't see it for yourself. And now think of a commentary. Now, a commentary is someone who's come along and they've seen this rug and they've said, okay, now let's use this material to make something. Now, both cases are possible in this analogy. It can be that you come along, you see this wonderful rug or this wonderful tapestry, and you start weaving more threads into it carefully. It might be that you actually create something new and you use those materials to make something that is also beautiful. But imagine the other side of it, which is that Someone's come along and they've taken out one thread and they've said, oh, look at this thread. Isn't this just terrible? This thread is wrong. Why is this piece of string in here? And they're standing there next to this rug holding up this one string that they've pulled out. And they're not even trying to weave it into a tapestry of their own. Now, there is something in putting a voice to text. There is something in simply talking about something. Now, whether you have cultural references or historic references or training or any sort of complex analysis or not, you still have something in just putting your voice to something. There is value in someone looking at something and saying something about it. Simply that in itself, that kind of commentary in and of itself, is of value. Whether that person has an education on it or not. And the best commentaries are on things that, well, they're not really recognized. They're sort of forgotten. And I tend to stay mostly away from intellectual analysis of things. I tend to err, side, err more on the side of personal opinion. And that's just my approach. That's my 
putting on the pedestal of beauty from the subjective experience. That simply is my approach. If someone stands up and they say, this is beautiful to me, then that's enough. That's enough. I put beauty as a high value. Now, of course, there are degrees to which you can experience beauty. One's capacity for beauty and insight and awe is something that's very different to your intellectual ability to analyze something. There are people who can give brilliant intellectual analysis of things, of texts, of books, and yet they cannot see the beauty of it. They can do historical context, they can do cross-literary comparisons, they can do all sorts of things. They can do cross-cultural references. They can quote texts word for word. But all that is a kind of intellectual commentary. And it's possible to do all that without having the side of it, which is the testament. Think of a commentary as your testimony. Think of a commentary of someone standing up and saying, this is what this tapestry has done for me. I declare what this tapestry has done for me personally. And it's filled me with awe. It's filled me with beauty. It's made me feel grateful that I've known such rich knowledge It's filled me with knowledge that I'll carry with me for years. Knowledge that has helped me out of so many things, that has made me feel so good about being alive. So inspired. I feel so inspired to have found this tapestry. And if this is your benchmark, if this is your understanding of what a commentary is, you can actually cut through quite a lot. There is a vast amount that does not live up to this kind of value sphere. Now, of course, this is just the value sphere that I'm operating within right now. These values such as beauty and awe and the personal subjective experience Well, that's just where we're at in this conversation. And we can get intellectual and have a look at what commentaries mean in multiple value spheres. And that way we're actually doing comparisons on approaches to commentaries. And you can see within that we're actually becoming really high-level intellectuals. That's when we do pull out the cross-cultural references and we do all the things like that. I'm not against the intellect. I'm not against the mind being stimulated. But I think, broadly speaking, we all need to come back to 
this question of what are our high values? What is it that we're getting out of these commentaries? So those are a few thoughts. If you'd like to hear some of my commentaries, I recommend the Harry Potter commentary. And I've also done a commentary on Grace and Grit, which is an incredible book by Ken Wilber. And both those commentaries are complete. They go through all of the material there. And there is vast beauty in both those things. Like, you'll be surprised. You'll be surprised, I think, if you listen through those entire commentaries. How much... Well, I'm, I'm quite sure that I've expressed how much I got out of them. <laughs> so, that's the next step if you're interested. And as for the rest of the information out there, I hope this is something that's helped to... I hope what we've said here is something that is able to help you with making sense of all the wild, wild information that's out there. Because it is just wild, wild country in so many ways. So thanks very much for tuning in. And that's all I have to say for now.